Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another RSO podcast. RSO, by the way, stands for Ron Spomer Outdoors, not really special operations. <laughs> and again, uh, Silas at Red 11 Media has saddled me with some questions to be answered. These came from our patrons and some from YouTube videos. And this is the first time I've seen these, believe me or not. It's up to you, but I'm going to try to answer them off the top of my head, which... Not very high. First one from Lassie V. Hmm. This is a YouTube comment. Do hunters or target shooters around the world really have an arsenal for a small army? <laughs> That's a good one. Lassie, I don't know because I don't know all the all the hunters and target shooters around the world, but I know that a lot of them do not have an armor, uh, an arsenal. You know, that's kind of a phenomenon of free nations like the United States of America, where we have a Second Amendment that guarantees our right to, to keep ourselves armed for self-protection and protection against tyrants and, and all the rest of it. It's sort of, I think it was considered by the founders as a God-given right, you know, the, the right to have your own mind, your own philosophies, your own opinions. You just can't take that away from people. That's a God-given right. And the right to defend yourself, I think, is too. I mean, what animal in the world would take off his claws and pull out his teeth and say, I'm going to hire somebody else to defend me? It's just not natural. So I think we're on the right track here as much uh, as people make about how horrible these crazy gun nuts in America are. Most of my friends and family who have several guns, many guns, and even arsenals have never committed any kind of a crime short of maybe speeding or parking improperly. You know, it's uh, the criminal activity is criminal activity and has really nothing to do with guns other than that. Obviously, that tool makes it a little easier to conduct some nefarious activities, but trying to eliminate every tool on the planet that's going to possibly be used in a crime is just tilting at windmills. I think we're much better off addressing the the nature of humanity and treating one another with love and respect and uh, not dwelling on how many guns we have. <laughs> but then again, I have heard that the deer hunters, the licensed deer hunters in Wisconsin alone would represent something like the fourth largest standing army in the world. And one of the points many people make is that because Americans have so many guns and know how to use them, <laughs> that invaders might just want to reconsider. Because if you think a little um, insurgency and guerrilla warfare might 
proved to be a problem. <laughs> what do you get here and try to take over? I think we're in pretty good shape. All right, let's go to another question. This is from Dave D. What are your thoughts regarding hunting with suppressors? This is a really a good question because suppressors are a little bit misunderstood in this country, especially. <clears throat> now, I don't like hunting with suppressors, which is what most people would call a silencer over here. And really, a silencer or a suppressor is a muffler. In fact, the suppressor for firearms was invented by the same guy who invented the muffler for automobiles, Hiram Maxim. That is pretty cool. And, you know, the whole idea was the same thing. It's like you don't want a loud car waking you up going down the streets, popping and screaming and making a lot of racket. So why do you want your gun to make a loud noise? So he put a muffler on each one of them. But somehow back in the 30s, somebody threw into some gun legislation passing Congress. This was during the ages of the the big city crime with the mafia and whatnot all. Pretty boy Floyd and all these characters were using submachine guns and different things. And so they started all this gun control stuff. And one of the things they slipped in there for some unknown reason was silencers. Uh, they outlawed silencers. And, of course, a silencer doesn't make a firearm silent. All it does is knocks about 30 decibels of the sound off the top. And most firearms will crack with about 140 or more decibels of <clears throat> impact noise. That includes a 22 long rifle. actually puts out that much racket. <laughs> and I think the... Uh, Government safety engineers declare, the OSHA people, that I think about 85 decibels of sound at a constant level for an hour would be the threshold for damage to your ears, hearing damage. Um, but the sudden noise of one gunshot has to be louder than that to really hurt. Um, but it does do damage, and if it's over 140 can be considerable damage. I'm living proof of that. I have lost a significant chunk of my upper range hearing because of that. So a suppressor knocks that down by 30 decibels. So your 270, instead of being a 160 or so decibels of noise, would knock it down to about 130, 140, and you'd be protecting your hearing. And that was the whole idea behind suppressors. But as again, as I mentioned, whatever reason, they stuck that into this gun control law as some sort of a heinous attachment that would really make a firearm dangerous. And I don't understand how, because even if you'd knock the sound down to a hundred decibels, you're st still good 15 decibels above the danger range from OSHA for, for noise in the workplace. It's not like you're not going to hear it. So at any rate, what does this mean for hunters? Well, in many states, if not most, you can apply for a special license and get a suppressor. I think it costs $200 to get this thing. And I don't know how often you have to pay it, if it's a one-time fee or if it's several, but it involves the government and paperwork and several months of waiting for it and all. But once you've got that suppressor, you really knock the noise level down on your firearm and it makes it a lot more comfortable to shoot. And I have used them overseas when I borrowed rifles. I was in South Africa on a hunt. They had a Ruger 308 Winchester with a suppressor on it. I, it was ugly. <laughs> this is my main complaint about suppressors. This is a big 8-inch to 6 to 8 to 10-inch long can on the end of your barrel, which makes it unbalanced and it looks really kind of silly. But, oh, is it sweet to shoot to not have to worry about the blast in your ears. So I really enjoyed that. And the rifle was wonderfully accurate. I, I shot a uh, 
a wild fallow deer, which was an introduced species over there. Nonetheless, there he was, there I was. I had the rifle and I went bang and hit right where I was supposed to. And I had my fallow deer and my ears weren't ringing. So I love what suppressors do. I just hate the look they have when they do it. Talk about ear protection. So my wife back there is saying, talk about ear protection. And I said, huh? <laughs> but that is really a good point. Ear protection or hearing protection is so important for shooters. Don't go out shooting without it like I did as a young man and really cost myself some significant hearing loss. I was uh, on a hunt recently in, in a waterfowl hunt in a blind, and boy, that's a place you can really get your ears blasted out because you'll usually have two or three guys on the left and right of you, and you're all shooting at ducks and geese and just having a great old time. But all those gun blasts, oh, my gosh. And even the duck and goose calls, those get ridiculously loud. I have had my ears ringing after listening to some callers. Even my own calling has my ears ringing for two reasons. One is not so good and the other one is too loud. But gosh, if you can protect your, your ears from those loud sounds, you're going to enjoy You're gonna enjoy your hearing it late into life. I just wouldn't risk it. Unfortunately, we didn't know that stuff back in the 60s and 70s when I was getting started. So I would definitely recommend that if you don't like a suppressor, you at least wear some hearing protection. And on this particular hunt, I will mention the brand I was with, Tetra Hearing. I was really impressed with their products. And the way they explained this hearing loss to me, uh, they tested my ears and told me how much hearing loss I had. And then they uh, dialed up their their little ear protections, Alpha Shield protectors that not only def, uh, knock about 20 decibels of the sound off to protect your ears, but they heighten sounds that you need to hear outdoors. And they can program those things so that you can better hear, say, a bugle of an elk or a call of a turkey. Uh, whatever you're hunting, you can get it tuned to enhance those sounds while reducing the dangerous sounds you don't want to hear. So it's pretty cool technology. I am going to be experimenting more with those. In fact, I've had them cast my ears for some customs. I'm looking forward to getting those and just seeing how well and how effectively it, it helps my hearing while I'm out hunting. All right, now we have got one from Terry, no last name. In a recent video, you said, if you increase grains, you double the knockdown power. But if you double the powder load, you quadruple the knockdown power. What does that mean? <laughs> well, yeah, that is a good question, Terry, because I don't believe I said that. I think you didn't quite interpret it right. What I should have said, and I think I did say, was that if you double the weight of your projectile, your bullet, you double its energy at any given velocity. So if you want to hit harder, you uh, go from a 150-grain bullet to a 300 grain bullet and you will double the energy that that bullet carries at a given speed say 2000 feet per second alternatively you can increase its velocity because if you double velocity of a moving object you quadruple its energy this is just basic physics and i didn't figure it out <laughs> i think i read it from some guy named newton <laughs> And that's the way it works, and that's what enables us to take big game animals with tiny little bullets. You drive them so fast that the energy goes up and up and up, and then, of course, energy gives power to the mass of that bullet. So you need a combination of bullet mass and velocity, and then the bullet penetrates. And when it penetrates and expands at the same time because of the friction, 
you increase the diameter of the bullet and then it touches more tissue and that's what you're trying to do is to break down tissue, hemorrhaging. Same way as a broadhead works, except for the broadhead does it by very sharp angles slicing, whereas a bullet is more of a ragged tearing. But it's the basic idea is the same. You want to get the, the heart and lungs, which are essential vital organs, to supply oxygenated blood to the brain. And if you discombobulate those or create enough hemorrhaging, uh, the blood pressure drops and the animal faints and then eventually he dies. <laughs> that's just the way it works. So that's what I meant by the uh, doubling and the quadrupling. Now, this is from Stu L. Stu asks, what starter rifles do you recommend for new hunters? Good question. And I recommend one that's not going to recoil a lot, but is still going to have adequate, um, call it power. I don't know if you want to say energy. This is all debatable, but effectiveness at terminal performance. And that is more to do with the bullet than the actual cartridge and rifle. So with the rifle itself, I would recommend something that's comfortable for the new user to carry and manipulate. You know, when I was a kid, it was like, here's grandpa's gun or dad's or somebody's. And whether it was too big or too small or too fat or too skinny or recoil too much, didn't matter. You wanted to go hunting. That's what they gave you. And off you went. <laughs> Often suffering in the process. And it wasn't until later that you got your hands on other guns, you realized, man, this one fits a lot better. I can swing it more easily, bring it to my shoulder more quickly, and I can hit what I'm shooting at without tearing my shoulder off. So look for a gun that fits the shooter. The length of pull, the thickness of the stock so that they can handle it adequately, whether it's balanced nicely between their hands rather than too muzzle heavy or too butt heavy. A butt heavy rifle is going to swing around too much at the muzzle. It makes it difficult to hold it on target. A muzzle heavy rifle, however, will tend to hang on the target a little better, um, but you don't want it so heavy that it pulls down and feels uncomfortable. Or, and I, I notice this a lot when I'm carrying a slung rifle over my shoulder, if the muzzle is too heavy, it tends to bring the butt up while the muzzle goes back. And I'm constantly having to readjust that. Some of the things to look for. And then you, of course, are concerned about the cartridge and the recoil. So you're looking for a cartridge that will have sufficient whatever oomph uh, or expansion characteristics to take the animals you're hunting. And I would assume that most folks are looking at a deer hunt, maybe uh, a bear hunt or an elk hunt. But most of us will start our big game hunting on whitetails or mule deer or pronghorn or something of that size. And virtually every centerfire cartridge out there is capable of handling those animals at different distances. And that's the thing that too many people don't consider. You know, they say, well, the 30-30 is all you need. You, well, yeah, unless you're taking a 300-yard shot. And then you might be better off with the 308 Winchester or 30-06. So the, the further the bullet goes, the more energy it loses, the more it drops, and the less effective it is. So at some point, uh, 3378 Weatherby Magnum is only going to be going as fast as a 30-30 at 100 yards. It's just the, the bullet slows down and then your energies and related to the velocity and the bullet weight are exactly the same. So at some point, nothing's good enough anymore. But then again, at some point, it's too much. Yeah, a 300 Magnum like that and an animal 50 yards away, whoo. <laughs> but then again, 30-30 and an animal 10 yards away, whoo. So I think you're more concerned about the the recoil and then whether or not that bullet can do the job. And if you select 
the right bullet. A 243 Winchester is a great option. Very little recoil, somewhere around 14, 15 foot-pounds of energy on your shoulder. That's not a lot of recoil. Most folks can handle that without any fear of flinch. And this is what I recommend for new shooters. Get a cartridge in a rifle with a nice balance like we talked about that is not going to kick you so much that you're going to go, ouch, I'm flinching from here on out. You're never going to be a good shooter if you close your eyes and jerk the trigger. And that's what flinch does. If you fear the shot, you're not going to shoot well. I would rather start a new shooter off with a 223 Remington for deer hunting in a jurisdiction where that is legal. And many states do allow that. And a lot of folks who use it say it works just great. And they shoot precisely. That's the point. The right bullet in the heart, it doesn't matter if it's a 22. It'll do the job. Now, plenty of you are going to say you are crazy and irresponsible to recommend a 223 for deer hunting. Well, I didn't choose it, guys. It's just been used by so many deer hunters so effectively in so many states that I can't argue that it doesn't work. Would I think a 270 is a better option? Probably. You know, it gives you a little more leeway. But if you can make a precise shot with that little 223 or 243 or any of the smaller calibers and cartridges that don't recoil as much, I think that's a lot, lot more effective than a great big one that you're afraid of and then you end up blowing your shot. So, 243 might be a better compromise than a 223. Um, a 7mm 08 is a great round. It's a little bit bigger, heavier, harder kicking than the 243, but it's well, pretty similar to a 270 Winchester. So younger shooters, smaller frame shooters, maybe not the 7 or the 270, but the 243 or one of the 25s or even the 6.5, dare I say it, Creedmoor. <laughs> which is the same as the 260 Remington if you don't like to create more or the 65 by 55 Swede. Those are great light kicking rounds that are deadly effective and have been proven that way for years and years. So those are some of the things you want to consider. Great question. So Charles asks, what are your thoughts on tough copper bullets? Another pertinent topic. Copper bullets are really coming on strong. Most of us would recognize those in the Barnes bullet brand. Barnes is kind of what started it. Even though copper bullets had been tried years before Barnes came up with them. And I think it was the mid-80s, around 1988, that Randy Brooks invented the Barnes X bullet. He was playing around with copper bullets, and this is what he came up with, and they worked remarkably well. Had a few issues at first with copper fouling and sometimes whether or not it would open adequately, but they kept playing around with it and experimenting, and they have got those bullets so perfected these days that most folks who use them just love them. And I have had excellent success with them ever since the early days. I started in the early 90s with the X-Bullet, and then I went through all the different permutations, and today I am just trusting every TSX or TTSX or LRX bullet from uh, Barnes that I've ever tried. So uh, I think they're great. And many other brands are coming out with them now and some darn good ones. I experimented with um, hammer bullets, all copper, and they're turned on a lathe and they're extremely precise, wonderfully accurate, expand beautifully in the deer that I shot with them. So I'm impressed with those. 
Another brand is Cutting Edge. Another one is Badlands Precision, uh, Lehigh Defense. Winchester has some copper bullets. Federal has some. I think, yes, Remington has some. Um, so, yeah, there's plenty of them out there, and there are getting to be more and more of them, partly because several states now are mandating them in certain areas because of lead poisoning. And I know folks like to argue this and think it's some kind of a communist plot to keep us from hunting, but the the anti-lead bullet folks, biologists who I have interviewed and visited with <clears throat> are not necessarily anti-hunters. I'm sure there are some, but I know some who are as crazy about hunting as I am. And they don't like lead core bullets because they do fragment, and I've seen that, and those fragments can be awfully tiny, and then they spread out into the carcass and into the offal and you gut your deer or elk and you leave the woods and think everything is happy and an eagle comes along and eats it, ingests that lead and can develop lead poisoning and die from it. Whether or not this is depleting the eagle population can be argued. You know, the gold, bald eagle population has been increasing. <clears throat> so I don't think it's a huge issue, but even if it's just a small issue, I don't know that we want to be out there <clears throat> poisoning animals inadvertently, collateral damage. You know, I think it's a concern. So, the, but the cool thing about copper bullets is you don't have to use them because you're afraid of lead poisoning. You just use them because they're effective. And if they shoot well in your rifle and you like what they do, use them. You don't have to if you don't want to, <clears throat> unless you are hunting. And excuse me for all this humming business. Several frogs have lodged in my throat, throat today. It must be springtime. But um, yeah, copper bullets, I think, work very well. Not they're, they're not all equal, so you're going to have to experiment a little bit. I haven't used all of them, but I do recommend the, uh, the hammer. I thought it was an excellent bullet. And of course, the barns I've been using in so many places for so long that I can stand behind those. But I wouldn't doubt that the, the cutting edge bullets and the Badlands bullets are equally effective. I just have not had the opportunity to try those yet. And this is from Dave S. Uh, Dave says, what are your thoughts on elk hunting with a 270 WSM? <laughs> Let's go. That's what I think. <laughs> no, the 270 WSM is a great cartridge. Most of us know it's one of those short fats that came out in the early 2000s, I think 2001. And I used it extensively because I've always been a 270 Winchester fan. And this was just a larger version. It was a short action. It's a short fat cartridge, so you can run it in a fairly light short rifle. And I've hunted with it in both the Browning X-Bolts, A-Bolts, and also Winchester's Model 70, another one of my all-time favorites. And I had, I would just call it perfect results. I've got a dog here by me, guys. This is Covey coming up for attention. Covey, I thought you are supposed to be outside chasing cats or something. <laughs> Go do your job. <laughs> Um, a 270, I used it for moose hunting. One shot, 240 yards or so, moose. Dropped him right there. 130 grain bullet, too. Um, caribou, elk, lots of deer. Just worked on everything. It's a variety of bullets as well. So, yeah, so just think of it as a 270 Winchester and add about 200 feet per second to the velocity of the same bullets. And there's your 270 WSM. It's just a smidgen slower than the 270 Weatherby Magnum. So, yeah, I definitely recommend that for, for elk hunting. I think they work just great. And then uh, final question is Mark W. Mark asks, what are your favorite older, almost forgotten cartridges? Oh, boy, there are so many. <laughs> In fact, there are 150 
obsolete cartridges in the United States of America. Just in the U.S. of A, we have had that many cartridges out there in the commercial market, and they're gone. It's crazy. And we keep coming up with new ones because you never know when you're going to hit the jackpot, right? So, yeah, it's kind of crazy. There have been some really good ones that have gone by the wayside, and then there's some that really aren't all that spectacular, and everybody loves them. Like the 4570, I have never really quite gotten that one. And people are going to hate me, but I have used it on several animals, and it just never did what everyone said it was supposed to do. I mean, this is a bison cartridge, right? You use that 4570, and you're dropping those big old bull bison left and right. It's going to hammer an elk. It's going to flatten every deer it ever looks at. You don't even have to pull the trigger. Just throw it at them. <laughs> well, I took it to Africa, and I hunted warthog, and I shot this big old tusker. <laughs> And I took him on the front edge of the shoulder going back through his body and it came out his hip and he ran a hundred yards plus and I had to finish him off when I got there. 300 grain bullet from the 4570. So not all that blown away by that one. Oh, then another warthog later took another bullet like that right through the chest and kept running. So I gave him another one and he kept running and he went 300 yards and laid down behind a tree. I went over there to pick up the carcass. He jumped up and ran again. I put another one through his chest to finally finish him off. And the first two had stayed in the body, which a lot of guys insist you have to do to recognize the full and appreciate the full potential of all that energy dispersed through the animal and you're just going to kill him right then and there well i don't i can't explain it guys but it didn't work <laughs> so that's not one of my favorites although i still use it and i know it can do the job if you put the right bullet in the right place but i just don't expect it to hammer them instantly so other forgotten cartridges i've got to go with the six millimeter remington i don't know if it's exactly forgotten but it is considered obsolete i don't think anybody chambers standard rifles for it anymore you can get a special order probably or do a custom and that's what i have right now but that one's just fallen to the 243 winchester even though it drives the same bullets 100 feet per second faster on average great little round it was built on the 257 roberts which was built from the 7 by 57 mauser so essentially take the 757 mauser neck it down to 244 and you've got the six millimeter remington that's a great little 24 caliber. Ah, oh, what's another forgotten cartridge that I like? Gosh, there's so many. Hmm. I don't know, guys. There are too many of them out there. But that six millimeters at the top of my heap, because I started with it when I was just a kid, and it's kind of been a pet of mine all along. But, you know, the 3030 is another favorite of mine, not because it's such a great cartridge, but again, because it's been around forever. But it's hardly a forgotten cartridge. It's like the 4570. It's probably twice as good as the 4570 as, as far as popularity and use. And the reason is, it's not a lot of recoil. It's a 30 caliber. It's been proven for years and years, and it's chambered in fast handling little brush rifles. The Model 94 Winchester, the 336 Marlin, the Henry lever actions. Those rifles are so handy uh, and quick that it's just perfect for woods hunting for whitetail. And a lot of guys will use them for the elk as well. But it's not a long-range cartridge. Used properly for the in the places that it was meant to be used, woods and brush, inside of 200 yards, great cartridge. 
this day and age, these ballistics look pretty pathetic compared to a lot of the others. Hey, those are great questions, guys. I am going to sign off for now, and I hope you all have a great day. Keep hitting us up with those questions, and we will keep giving you answers off the top of our head. And I want to thank the folks who wrote in after the last one and explained a few mistakes that I had made or some misconceptions that I had. One of the things I want to correct or one of our listeners corrected for me in our last little podcast was I referenced the 6.5 Grendel compared to the 6mm ARC, Hornady's new 6 ARC, which is a really short little 6mm for AR-15 platform rifles. And they wanted to know which one would hit harder on deer or be more effective on deer. And I said I thought probably the 6.5 would be because it would probably have a little more energy downrange because it has a little bit heavier bullets. But someone went through the manuals and the ballistics calculators came up with some numbers and found out that that little six millimeter version of that with a 107 grain bullet because that bullet had such a high ballistics coefficient actually carried a little more energy downrange and shot a little bit uh, flatter and drifted a little bit less in the wind so pretty similar to the six creedmoor versus the 6.5 creedmoor in that regard so never underestimate the value of ballistics coefficient as i mentioned in that last video I am bound to make some mistakes here taking this stuff off the top of my head. So I depend on you guys to set us all straight. If I get some of this stuff wrong, let me know and we will uh, appreciate that and correct it, especially on YouTube. I'll try to answer as many questions as I can on there, but I can't get to them all, guys. So to our patrons, you guys always get first come, first serve. I'm going to answer your questions first because I love the support you give us. That enables us to do these podcasts and videos. Hey, this is Ron Spomer signing off with the usual. Hunt honest and shoot straight. Thanks for listening. game in wild places tune in to hunt stand presents saturdays at 8 30 p.m eastern waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment one of the most legendary shows in the outdoors is on waypoint tv don't miss primo's truth about hunting wednesday nights at 7 p.m eastern on waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment